Good morning. Hope you're all well. It's nice to see some of you back from your holidays. Um, I think the theme this morning is the Olympics. So if you don't like the Olympics, I apologize. Um, I'll try and find some of the things that you may have an interest in this morning. But as Paul said, we carry on this series of defining moments. And this morning I've been given Esther, the book of Esther to look at. And it's basically the story of a young woman who gets chosen to marry the king of Persia. And through doing that, she goes on to actually save her race, the Jews, from complete annihilation, which is fantastic and amazing. Um, she had some serious defining moments so she could go on and do some amazing things that she did. Um, and I don't know about you, but when, you, when I watch the Olympic Games and you see people who've, passed, who've been past Olympians, they're perhaps doing the presenting or they go and talk to them. Um, sometimes you see them in, in other things on the TV and they've been defined by that Olympic achievement. They've been defined by it because they're pushing to go and get a gold again or a medal again. They've been defined by it because it's actually paved a way for their future, maybe in broadcasting, maybe working um, with young children and helping them to achieve, maybe going on to be a coach themselves. It's defined their future. And we see in many areas of life, we see um, people defined by maybe their courage and their bravery. Uh, we see people defined by their determination to go on and do something and to make a difference. We see people, people defined by maybe something that they've invented or created, like Facebook. That defined the whole world when that one came into being, didn't it? Maybe people are defined by their kindness. When we think about people like Mother Teresa, she was defined by the kindness. Many other things that she did, but the kindness that she had. People are defined by their passion about certain things and certain subjects that they do. Things define us. And I think it depends on what we allow to come into our lives, on how we then go on and define others. And I think that definition, when things come and define us, there's a definition that goes on the blurred edges disappear around us and we can stand truly and completely in who we are. It brings clarity, it, it makes things clearer and it brings understanding. So if you have moments that define you, the definition of who you are, of what you stand for, of what you believe, of what you want to do with your life becomes so much clearer, not only for yourself to know who you are, because that's a journey we all go on, isn't it? but also for other people to say, wow, I know who that person is. They stand up for, for justice in a world of injustice. They are looking to do some amazing things, working with kids or working with the elderly. This person is doing some amazing things, going out and peacekeeping. People are defined by those things and other people see that definition. And that's what I want to encourage you with this morning. Whatever defines your life, whether it's for the good or for the bad, Whatever defines your life can then actually have an impact on those who look at you and see that definition within you. And it's those moments that happen in our lives and the choices that we make in them, which Ben talked about so fantastically last week. Those choices that you make in those defining moments, whether it's a good moment or a bad moment, it can define you and define not only your future, but the future, like it did for Esther, an entire race of people. To the point that the Jews still celebrate what Esther did in the festival of Purim. 
please forgive me if I get any pronunciations wrong, but it's still a Jewish holiday today where they celebrate that the Jews were rescued from complete annihilation when they were in exile, when they weren't in their own country, but they'd been taken to another country. It's still celebrated today, which I think is pretty amazing. Something that one person did is, is still having an impact on that community of people today. And this morning, I want to say to you that there are things that you can do in your community, in your workplace, in your family, that can go on to have an impact for generations to come. I believe that, and I believe it for you as well, if you want to choose to grab hold of those defining moments. So this is what I want to talk to you about this morning. What was it that defined Esther to this degree that she could do such a fantastic thing? that she could step in and cause a way for the Jews, for her people, not to be completely annihilated, completely destroyed. And for the Jews, unfortunately, it's been a thing that has happened throughout history. This isn't a one-time thing that's happened where annihilation has come to them. But things have happened throughout history. But we just want to look at this one particular point in this one woman and what defined her to be this amazing woman that she was. And my first point for you is this, is that Esther was defined in exile. So for those of you who are not really sure of the story of Esther, Esther was a Jew. The Jews lived in the land of Israel, but because they didn't really live a great life and God wasn't particularly impressed with them, he allowed them to be taken off into exile into Persia. And they were dragged from the home in exile. And in that place of exile, we think, oh, it must have been a terrible place. And it was a terrible place because they weren't actually in their home. They weren't in Israel. But when you actually look at it, many of the Jews did well in exile. Many of the Jews, it wasn't a terrible place. They weren't in slavery and bondage, but they were allowed to come into a place where they could do well, where they could have businesses, where they could serve and be honored and been brought up into places where they were recognized. But for the Jews, they weren't in the promised land. God had promised the Jews that they would have a promised land. And the fact that they had been taken from it was just horrific for them. So although it wasn't a terrible place, it was for them because they weren't where the heart was. And I think that's the thing I want to catch hold of this morning. Let's read Esther 2, 5 to 7 from the message. It says, Now there was a Jew who lived in the palace complex of Susa. His name was Mordecai, the son of Jaya, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish. He was related to Saul and Jonathan. His ancestors had been taken from Jerusalem with the exiles and carried off when King, I can't even say that name, of Judah by King Nebuchadnezzar, I can say that one, of Babylon into exile. Mordecai had reared his cousin Hadassah, otherwise known as Esther, since she had no father or mother. The girl had a good figure and a beautiful face. After her parents died, Mordecai had adopted her. So these were people who had lived in exile. There's a bit of confusion. Did, were they taken into exile? If they were, Mordecai was going to be really, really old. But for Esther especially, and probably Mordecai too, they'd grown up in exile. They'd never been to the promised land, but they would have heard stories of it. They would have, been, they would have known as Jews that they wanted to be there. They wanted to be in that place. And this is what I want to say to you this morning with this point. 
that actually you may find yourself in your life in a place of exile. You may think, this isn't really where my heart is. This job isn't really where I want to be. This relationship really just, it's not right. This, this particular area where I'm helping and doing things, it's not where my heart is. It's not where I feel like I should be. But let me tell you this morning, when Esther and Mordecai found themselves in a place of exile, God was still there. And God still works. And he can do that for you too this morning. Let's read in Esther 4, 12 to 14. And this is when the plot is, is uncovered. And Mordecai speaks to Esther and says, you need to go to the king. You need to do something to make sure this terrible thing doesn't happen. It says, when Hathach told Mordecai that Esther had said, Mordecai sent her this message. Don't think that just because you live in the king's house, you're the one Jew who will get out of this alive. If you persist in staying silent at this time like this, help and deliverance will arrive for the Jews from someplace else. But you and your family will be wiped out. Who knows? Maybe you were made queen for just such a time as this. I want to say to you this morning, maybe you were put in that job for just such a time as this. Maybe you were placed within your family where everything's going wrong for just such a time as this. And you may feel like it's exile. You may feel like you're not living in what you hoped would be the wonders of everything that you believe for. Maybe you've had people say things to you and you're believing for a ministry. Maybe you're believing for a relationship. Maybe you're believing for certain things. But even in your place of exile... God says to you, for such a time as this, you were in that place to make a difference. You were in that place to bring deliverance, to bring salvation for those people who were there. For such a time as this, Esther was defined by her exile because if she was never taken into exile, she could never have brought deliverance to the Jews. If Jesus never went to the cross, he could never have brought the salvation for us. Sometimes we look at our situations, we look at our health problems, we look at our finances, we look at our jobs, we look at our mental health and we think, oh, I just wish it was something else. But for such a time as this, God has put you in those places so that you can bring deliverance, so that you can take God into that situation and bring change and relief for such a time as this. Don't fight your exile. Bring God, bring deliverance into your place that you feel you are in exile. Because for such a time as this, there's promotion, there's victory, and there's deliverance. God has put you in that place. If you fulfill all he's calling you to in it, then he will release you from it into greater things, as you'll see as we get further on. Esther was defined in her exile. Let me encourage you, be defined in your places of exile. The next thing I want to say to you is this, that Esther, I believe, was defined in submission. And this can be a bit of a dirty word, can't it, submission? I don't want to submit to anyone. I just want to be kingpin. I don't like being told what to do. I want to do everything how I want to do it, and that's just about me. I like to think I'm right all the time, which I generally am sometimes. None of us like being told what to do. None of us like saying, okay, all right. But you know what? It does us good. And let's see for Esther how it did her good. 
Now, I need to take you back a little bit in the story because King Xerxes was, was the king of Persia. He had a wife called Vashti, who was the supermodel of the day. But when he wanted to show her off to all of his mates who'd come around for a party, she said, I am not coming and refused to go. At this point, the king, as I'm sure you can appreciate, was not impressed and decided, with the help of his officials, that she would be banished from his presence, never to be seen again. But then he began to get a little bit upset after he'd made this decision and thought it was maybe a bit rash. So the officials said, well, no, it's okay. Let's search the whole land and find as many beautiful maidens as we can. And you can just have them all. But whichever one you think is the best can take the place of queen. So all of these virgins that were brought in came into his harem and became his concubines. But only one of them was going to take the place of queen. And it was at this place that Esther found herself. It's said before that she was beautiful. And she was chosen as one of them virgins to come in. And let's see. Let's just see what it says in scripture about that. So if we can have Esther 1.19. It says, so if the king agrees, let him pronounce a royal ruling and have it recorded in the laws of the Persians and Medes so that it cannot be revoked that Vashti is permanently banned from King Xerxes' presence and then let the king give her royal position to a woman who knows her place. <laughs> Do you know your place, ladies? King Xerxes was looking for a woman who knew her place. And all the men say, amen. I don't want to go into women's lib. This was thousands or hundreds of years ago. It was the culture of the day. We may have some men who live in that culture still. But I don't want to go into women's lib. It's not about that this morning. What this is about is that Esther had to know her place as she came into that place. She had to understand the culture of the day. She had to understand the position she was going into. She may not have agreed with it, but as a woman at that time, that was what they knew. That was how they lived. And we can't get hung up with thinking, well, I don't agree with that, and actually miss what God's trying to say to us. So this morning, I don't want us to get caught up on women's lib. I'm not going to be a woman who knows my place. Actually, God calls us all to know our place. God calls us all to submit to one another. And that's what we want to get at this morning. But Esther, Esther knew that she had to know her place in this. And the reason she did was because she'd first learned submission to Mordecai. In Esther 2 verse 10, it says this. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. So he told her, don't tell anyone you were Jew. But because he'd told her to, she'd submitted to him and chosen not to. And then let's read on in Esther 2.20. This was when she was part of the royal household. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do. For she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. She knew what it was to submit to her adopted father. She knew what that submission was. And knowing that submission was what found her in the process that got her to be able to save the whole nation of Israel through it. Mordecai had Esther's ear. 
Who's got your ear? And is it someone who's telling you good stuff? Is it someone who you're submitted to and they're breathing life and love into you? Because that's what you need. Mordecai knew what it was to help Esther and to see her promoted. And he helped to do that. He warned her about saying things that she shouldn't. But then when, when it push came to shove, he knew when she needed to actually do something and stand up for what they believed in. Esther first learned submission to Mordecai. And then we see it carry on. Once she was brought into the royal palaces to begin this process of whether she's going to be the queen. And there must have been hundreds and hundreds of young virgins that were brought in. It said they went through a 12-month beauty treatment. <gasps> You've got to be liking that, haven't you? 12 months beauty treatment. Some of you are thinking, no, thank you. But if you like that sort of thing, wow. But you can imagine looking at all the other young virgins who were in there having their beauty th treatment and thinking, oh my goodness, oh, she's really nice. Is the king going to like her more than me? But Esther continued this submission because if we read in Esther 2.15, it says this. When it was Esther's turn to go to the king, Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had adopted her as his daughter, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, had recommended. Esther, just as she was, won the admiration of everyone who saw her. She submitted to the chief eunuch who was in charge of all the concubines. She knew that he knew what the king liked. He's going to, isn't he? He's going to know which of the concubines the king's going to be calling for. Now, this might not be what we do these days, but this is what they did. The king had lots of women, and he picked which ones he wanted. That was how it worked. It was a cultural thing. And if we don't get caught up in it, we can catch a hold of what God wants to say to us through it. Esther knew what it was to submit to Mordecai. She carried on that and submitted to Haggai. And in doing so, it says... Just as she was, she won the admiration of everyone who saw her. Just as she was. Be yourself. Be yourself. And allow people to come around you who encourage you to be yourself. Encourage you to be yourself as you're looking for promotion. To be yourself as you're working on getting a new relationship, maybe. To be yourself, whatever you're doing. That's what Haggai brought out of it. More of who she was. And I believe that is why the king fell for it. I don't know about you, but I like things just so. If things aren't in place, it just doesn't work for me. If I'm putting party plates out and I haven't got enough of one sort, then we have to go alternate. Yeah? Anyone else like that? Some people just want to mess all that up and just can't really work with it. But I don't like you people. Stay away from me. But I've passed this trait on to my youngest daughter, as some of you are probably aware, Olivia. Please go down and talk to her after and say that I've been talking about her because she will beat me up. But we had to take Grace to the doctors this week. She had a little infection on her thumb. And so we were waiting in the waiting room for a really long time, which was wonderful. And um, there were rows of chairs, which were not directly next to each other. They were slightly back or slightly forwards. This is a major issue for Olivia. 
In my wisdom and age and maturity, I have begun, I've begun to learn to cope with this and think, just don't look at it, it's okay. But she hasn't got to that point yet. So regardless of the fact that people were sitting on these chairs, they had to move. So we had a little chat in the dentist, not the dentist, the doctor's surgery, in front of lots of people about, you know, life isn't always like this, Olivia. Sometimes you can't put things just so. They just, life's just a mess sometimes. And we have to learn that that's okay. We might not like it, but we have to learn it's okay. Inside, I was thinking, that's my daughter. I'm so proud of you. Straighten the chairs, child. Straighten the chairs. But you know, sometimes we like things just so. And it causes us not to be able to submit because we like them just our way how we want them. But if we can let go of that sometimes and we can listen to what other people say to us and submit to their wisdom, submit to their insight, submit to their superior knowledge just from experience because they're closer to somebody, then actually it can open a path that could never be opened because we refuse to let go of the fact that we like the chairs just so. Can I encourage you? You may be setting your ways over certain things. You may think, well, that's just how I am, and that's right, that's fine, and that's okay. And we have just said, be yourself. But sometimes we need to submit to what other people are suggesting or advising us to do. Because it's only as we do that, and only as we let go of the things that we feel so wrapped up in, that actually God opens a way. Just like he did for Esther when she met the king and was promoted above all those other virgins into the position of queen. I believe God can open doors and pathways for you in just the same way. And finally, we see submission come about because we see it with King Xerxes. We heard what Mordecai said to Esther before, that you've got to go and do it for such a time as this. And she knew that if you went into the king's presence and you hadn't been summoned, unless he extended his scepter to you, then you would be killed. So she wasn't over keen on going to see the king unless he asked for it, which is fair enough, I think. I wouldn't be keen on going to see him because you're thinking, is he extending it? Has he got a little twitch? Has he got an itch going on? You can imagine him going like this. Oh, just, just kidding with you. Oh, go on then. But Esther said, if I die, I die, but I will go and do it. And we see in Esther 5, 2, when he, this is the king, noticed Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased to see her. That's good, isn't it? The king extended the golden scepter in his hand. Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. That was no easy thing for her to do. But she submitted again to the customs of the day, to the things and rules that were in place and said, well, if I die, I die, but I'm trusting and believing that everything's going to be okay. I'm going to submit to it and I'm going to hope. And you can imagine her walking into court and catching his eye and thinking, what is he going to do? Is this the end for me? But she was willing and prepared to submit to it. She managed and worked through the fear that she had. She learned to trust those who were in place around her. And you know, sometimes there's a time to change traditions. But sometimes there's a time to work within them. And God works that way too. So she was defined by a submission in many different areas. 
but it brought about some amazing things. The next thing that I believe she was defined in was she was defined in patience. She had 12 months beauty treatment. That's a long time. For anyone who likes beauty treatments, that's still a long time to be having your nails done, isn't it? But be having your foils in, it's a long time to have beauty treatment going on. When she learned that she needed to go out into, um, and meet the king, she fasted for three whole days before she did it. She didn't just think, oh, I've got to go and do it. I just need to go and do it and find out. She fasted for three whole days. And when she met with the king and the king said, what is it you're asking of me? What do you want? What's going on? She prepared him two meals and asked him to keep coming back before she actually told him what was going on and what a request was to him. There's an art in waiting. And much of what we need to learn, we learn in the waiting. Which we don't, we just want to learn it and then just get on with it. But it's in and through the waiting that we learn the things that we need to learn. Maybe you're waiting. Maybe you're waiting for a new job. Maybe you're waiting for a relationship. Maybe you're waiting for, for someone in your family, for many different things. There's much to be learned in the waiting. And I know it's not always easy, but try and find some peace in it. Try and look for the good in it. Try and look for what's going on and working for the better in your life, in and through it. For, for those of you who've been in church for a while, you, you'll know that Paul, my husband, Paul and myself have had an issue with the bins. And um, yeah, we're back there again. And it, it's, it's, I'll just fill you in. It's basically an issue about, um, in, in the house I grew up in, the men put the bins out. But in the house Paul grew up in, just every bin for himself. So we've sort of worked through this and we're, we're fine now. It's okay. Um, to the point of, and I love this, sorry darling, I hope you don't mind. Um, the bin men came the other Monday and the bin had not gone out. The bin was extremely fun. You can hear them in the street coming, can't you? And you're sort of lying in bed and your eyes ping open. It's like, the bin men. Paul, in his pyjamas, running down the street with the bin, chasing the bin men down the street twice now. Was it twice or just once you've done it? Just once. The other one must be a figment of my imagination. But that's what needed to be done. He needed to go and get the rubbish in the bin, in the bin truck. This is my major... This, what's the matter? There was no rubbish in the bin because we've been on holiday as well, which was joyous. But this is an issue I feel that Paul has, although some of you may think it's mine. I'm sure Paul does. But... I would just like to confess that although the bin issue I believe is his and that he should be putting those bins out and chasing the bin men down the street because that's a bit how I've been raised and that's right. Maybe I should submit to my husband and listen to my own preach. I though do have one small issue inside of my perfections elsewhere and it's like this. Paul likes to cook which is wonderful and he's very experimental when he does and um He's very experimental with the mess that he makes. When I cook, as you can imagine, with the chair issue, it's like you wash it as you go, you keep it tidy, you wipe the sides, there's some nods. I'm liking you people who are nodding at me. There's some people who think you just splat it up the walls. When Paul's cooking, I'm not supposed to go into the kitchen. When I do go in, 
because I'm getting something else, I, I tend to put his things in the wash that he's still using. Where's my knife gone? I'm like, I don't know, I put it in the bowl. <laughs> so I have this major issue with when Paul's cooking that I like to go and clean up around him. I'm, I'm being helpful, I'm trying to help. Paul does not appreciate this help at all. I'm very impatient. I like things a certain way. And I know that there are many times in my life that God tries to define me in patience. And can I encourage you, if you, like me, are really impatient and you want to go and tidy up around your husband while he's cleaning because he's not doing it quick enough for you, then sometimes you've just got to grit your teeth and think, what is God trying to teach me in this? What can change within me? What is the new that can come out of me? And be defined in the patience. None of us like to wait for things. None of us like it when we get to the hospital and it says, there is a 30-minute delay just with the consultant you're waiting to see, but all the others are on time. We love that. It's fantastic. When you get to the, the queue at the shop in, in the shop and it's like, how long is this queue? And I'm like, Ugh. and Paul's just like, I just like queuing. I really enjoy it. Joy's queuing. Meet Paul. <laughs> he loves it. I really struggle with it. I'm so impatient. I want things to be sorted and done now. But I know, and I'm learning, and I'm still learning, that in those moments where I have to wait, in those times where I'm learning patience, that there's so much more that goes on within me to make me a better person, to help me in my relationships. And if I can hold on to that and not just bundle my way through and try and sort it out as quick as I can, then there's so much more that I can learn. And can I encourage those of you who are impatient like me, be like Esther and learn to find your patience in those times. And the last thing that I want to conclude with today is that Esther was defined so that she could define others. Esther defined Mordecai, because in defining him, she brought him access to the king that previously there's no way he would have had. Esther had access, she had the king's confidence, she had a position. Mordecai knew that there were things going on. There was a plot that went on previously that tried to kill the king that you can read about in Esther 2, 21 to 23. Esther was able to tell the king of this plot that Mordecai uncovered and save the king. Esther was able to go to the king about the plot about the Jews and save the Jews. But she was able to do it because Mordecai was there behind the scenes giving her the information, telling her the things that she needed to do. He was that voice within her ear. And we read in Esther 10 verse 3, it says, Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to the king Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. When Esther had spoke to the king and they'd uncovered this plot and the king had helped the Jews and the Jews had fought up for themselves and they'd been saved and not annihilated, Mordecai was brought to a higher position than the man, Haman, who was trying to knock all the Jews down. Mordecai was second in command to the king. 
Mordecai would never have found that position unless Esther had been defined through her patience, through her submission, and through her exile into the position of queen. Esther was brought into that position so she could bring Mordecai into the position where he was second in command to the king. To the king. So really, this book, although it's entitled Esther, and it talks about Esther all the way through, this book is really about Mordecai, how Mordecai, with the help and support of his cousin who he adopted, actually became second into, in command, in a place of exile, to the king of Persia. That's really what this book is about. And Esther, in her grace and in her goodness, didn't have a Mickey fit because she, well, I want to be the kingpin. I want to be the most important person in this book that's actually named after me. Fancy it being actually about Mordecai, it's about me. But Esther wasn't like that. Esther wanted the good for the Jews. She wanted the good for Mordecai. Because she knew what it was to be loved and taken care of by him herself. When she had no mother and no father, he stepped in and he looked after her and supported her. And I believe she also knew that if she helped and brought him into that position that he found at the end of the book, that he would love and support and look after not only the Jews, but everyone else that he came into contact with. Esther was defined so that she could define Mordecai into the position that God was calling him to, so that he could bring salvation, so that he could bring help to the Jews. Let's just put that scripture on again, Baz, please. Esther 10. It says, and he was held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all of the Jews. I believe that we can become people like Mordecai. Just like Esther worked to bring him into that position. Through circumstance, you may say. Through chance, you may say. But God was at work within that. There was a man who died on the cross over 2,000 years ago. And he was defined by it. So that he could define you and me. You and I can be defined through what Jesus Christ did for us. Esther 8 verse 17 says this. Not only that, but many non-Jews became Jews. Now it was dangerous not to be a Jew. So going from a point where it was dangerous to be a Jew because everyone was out to get you, through what Esther and Mordecai did, it was now the best thing to do was to be a Jew. Can I tell you this morning, the best thing to do is to become a Christian. The best thing to do is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. And you may think, well, I don't really understand all of that. I have questions about that. That's okay. Come and ask your questions. We would love to talk to you. Sometimes it's not just about the individual. We've talked about this book being about Mordecai, but actually it was about the whole nation of the Jews. It was about all of them. It was about bringing peace to them in their exile. And it was also about people coming and becoming Jews themselves. About finding that love that God had for them. Zechariah 8:23 talks about this as well. It says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. 
In those days, 10 people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. This morning, that is what I want to send you out with. That you go out where people want to come up to you and say, let us stay with you. Let us find out what it is about you because we know that God is with you. May people know that God is with us through the love that we show. May people know that God is with us through the kindness that we show and want to come with us, want to journey with us on that. Esther not only define Mordecai's future but she defined the whole future of Israel she was defined so that she could define others so this morning I want to conclude with this get rid of the blur around the edges and allow God to bring those into your life that will define you ask God where you can change take time to wait on him and see the bigger picture of what you can do, just like Esther did. 